0: Good morning. (laughs) We're getting smaller and smaller. (laughs) Uh, Tonight, or today's sermon, uh, we're going to continue on with our exposition of John 7 uh, with 40 and 44. And I just wanted to kind of tie in before we review what is being said and read today's passage, kind of what's happening. Uh, and, And so if you'll look back with me at John 7... 32, this is kind of what's going to be taking place. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where, you, where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. And then he enters into the exposition of the great thirst that we talked about last week. Of this desire and passion for things of God. And then we get to today's passage. John 7, 40 through 44. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet? Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? the village where david was so there was division among the people over him some of them wanted to arrest him but no one laid a hand on him let's pray dear holy father we just come before you today to discuss these things of you lord to hear your word to have it impact and pierce our heart lord to create division Lord, as we hear your words today, we're going to come to the realization that there are divisions among your creation, Lord, and this is not to be unexpected. Lord, we pray that your word pierces our heart, that it conforms us, it renews our minds, it draws us closer to you to have a better understanding as to your wisdom. To change our eyesight and to see that things are going in in accordance to your purpose, Lord, in accordance to your will, for a greater purpose to glorify you, Lord. We thank you for bringing us into a relationship with you to provide us with your word in which we can gain this understanding to where we can learn these things of you and that help form us and change us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for the many blessings you've given us in our lives, for the grace and gift of life to providing this thirst, these things in which we desire for you, for filling us with the Spirit. Lord, we just pray for wisdom. We pray for open minds. We pray for our hearts to continue to be changed, Lord. And more importantly, we pray for application. We pray for a way in which we can apply these words and share these words and spread the word and grow the kingdom, Lord, through your name. Through the sacrifice of your son that paid the price for our sins, Lord. And the gift of redemption through that. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. So here we have a group of people at the end of the Feast of Tabernacle. Or the Feast of Booths. So if we recall the whole purpose of this feast in which we call this one of the three in which all men were supposed to return to Jerusalem to celebrate God. And the point of this feast was to remember how God provided for Israel, for the Jews, during the Exodus. During this 40 years of wandering. Okay? And so part of this practice was, one, living in these booths, right? This collection of sticks and building these little huts and tents in which they would sleep in. And and remember that during this time, God provided, right? And what's he provide? He provides quail, he provides manna, and he provides water. And we discussed last week that this whole ceremony wraps up with this procession of bringing this water in these jugs from the fountain and pouring it over the altar in the remembrance of the salvation that was supposed to come, this promise or fulfillment of a savior. This promise of the gift of salvation through another. And he stands up at the end of this ceremony before they all leave And he says, I am the fulfillment of that promise, right? He stands up and offers the invitation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He has just told them that he is God and he is the answer and fulfillment to the promise of the scriptures. He is the one in whom God is sending and he's inviting them to come and to believe in him, to believe in the fulfillment of this promise. And then the mumbling starts. The rumors start. The discussions start. They start talking amongst themselves. Now, think about a time whether it was in a, a class or a speech or a political debate or for whatever topic you choose. You heard something, and you weren't quite sure what you thought about what was being said. And you lean over to your spouse or your friend, and you start mumbling. Well, do you really think you meant that? So, what about that? Well. Didn't this just happen? And and, and that's what we begin to see here. And they start to question. When they heard these words, when they heard the words, what words did they just hear? I am God. I am the fulfillment of the promise. And if you thirst, if you desire the things of God, you are to come to me. I'm the way. That is what they're hearing. And they begin to question. And Some people say, this really is the prophet. The others said, this is the Christ. Why would they be saying this is a prophet, this is a Christ? Because they didn't have quite the understanding in which we have today. If we look at verses 40 and 41... The Jews knew the scripture, okay? They may not have necessarily had the written scriptures like we have today. I guarantee every one of us has more than one Bible in their household, okay? They didn't have that privilege of having the written word in their households, but they knew it. They were an oral society in which they knew the scriptures. This is what was ingrained in them. This is who they were. They were the people of God, And this people of God, the scriptures were the very fabric of who they were. It was their essence. It's who they claimed to be, and they knew it. And they would attend. Think about it. They have to report to Jerusalem three times a year. The people all through Judea and Galilee and Samaria are coming, they're traveling to a city to what? Worship and praise God and be obedient to the word. They knew the scriptures, intellectually speaking. See, Micah, one of the prophets, right, has told them that Christ is to come from Bethlehem, from Judea, from the city of David. And so when they say, this is the prophet, this is the Christ, Then some begin to say, now hold on, you're you're making this because it sounds good to your ear. But wait a minute, is he not supposed to come from Galilee? Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Well, the problem with that is that's not where the Christ was supposed to come from. The Christ is supposed to come from Nazareth, from Bethlehem which is south of Galilee. When we look at a map, if you were to ever look at a map of Israel during Jesus' time, you're gonna see from the north to the south three provinces or three states, okay? You're going to see first Galilee at the top, then you're gonna see Samaria, and then you're gonna see Judea. And within Judea, you have uh, Emmaus, which is in the north part of the southern state, and then you're going to have Jerusalem and then Bethlehem. And so Nazareth and Galilee are up in the north, they're saying, "Wait a minute, is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? He's supposed to come from Bethlehem, which is south of where they're at right now, and they know Jesus came from where? The North. Remember, he left Judea and went north and has been sharing the word and teaching up north and has come south through Samaria. Hence, he meets the woman of Samaria at the well and comes to Jerusalem to preach or to share the word and to worship. And they're saying, wait a minute. What's going on here? Has not the scripture said that the Christ from the offspring of David And comes from Bethlehem? He's supposed to come from south, not north. See, they had no idea that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They only know that he came from Galilee. So some don't know what to think. They're scratching their heads. The prophet in which is being referenced here is referenced from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, okay, the prophet and the Messiah were to be, some thought were different people, but in actuality, they're one. And so when we look at Deuteronomy eighteen, fifteen through 18, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord, your God at Horeb. On the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voices of the Lord our God nor see his great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell everything I command him. So they are waiting for a prophet. They're Because they know God has promised a line of prophets who will speak to Israel on his behalf. They know the past. There's all these prophets that come declaring his word. So what is a prophet? What is this prophet they're talking about? Well, Moses speaks of himself as a prophet. The instrument of communicating God's word to Israel. See, What begins to happen is people begin looking for fulfillment and finding things in which they want God to say or desire. So they go looking at magicians and sorcerers and all these different things that Satan has put into place to distract God's people, to lure them away. But God's told them, Israel, you are to listen to God's prophet, to my prophet's rather than any pagan means of revelation or guidance. Now God speaks as a prophet and promises a future prophet like him in Israel. So Moses is supposed to be an example, one leading to or pointing to a future prophet. They were expecting this, they were waiting for this, and we know from the New Testament that Jesus is this prophet, but when he's speaking to them, they're beginning to question, they're making these connections that are happening. Is this really him? Is this the fulfillment of that promise? We've seen these great things, we've heard these stories. He's making these claims. Is this him? Is this that promise? See, what begins to happen is there's a division. People are going to start making up their minds of who Jesus is or who they think he is. Some wait and think that maybe this is Elijah. In John 1 21, and they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am no. Are you the prophet? And he answered no. See, Elijah never died. We learn this in 2 Kings 2 and 11. And everybody expects him to return in the times. We read this from Malachi 4, 5. Because he's to restore all things. Now some believe John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this promise. An Elijah-like figure. Now when John is asked if he is Elijah. He says no. Okay, no, he's John the Baptist. But he takes that Elijah-like form in proclaiming and preparing the way for the Lord. Because in Malachi 4, 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Elijah himself in person is coming. But it's in that like in that form, like a prophet, will be coming and spreading the word and preparing the way for you. So in verses 43 and 44, 43 and 44, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This division is this debate and argument that begins to happen. No, he's the Christ. No, he's the prophet. Well, he's neither. How could he be this if... It's supposed to come from here. Show me the proof. Where's the documentation? How do we know this is true? Wait a minute. He, he's performing these miracles. But wait, this guy can do this miracle. Or oh, do you really believe he raised the dead? Do you really believe he helped heal the leper? Do you really believe? And then you've got witnesses and disciples saying, yes, this is the Christ. Remember, his own brothers, we learn early on, struggled with believing who he was. They didn't recognize truly who he was. These are his own brothers. Because they were expecting him to be somebody he wasn't to be. Why is this important? Why is this important? How often do we try to make God somebody he's not? How do we try to fit God in a box? How often do we try to Make God something we want him to be. We want him to fit our beliefs. Well, God would really want me to do this. Does that necessarily mean that that's what's supposed to happen? See, many people will go out there and say, well, my God, my Jesus wouldn't do that. My God wouldn't say that. But what's happening is there's this tendency... To try to fit or change God to fit our wants and desires to make us feel good. That what we believe is right or what I want to do is okay or what, how I feel is the right thing to feel. And I feel okay with this because my God says it's okay. See, society today tries to fit God in a lot of different ways or the complete opposite, just the outright denial that there is a God. But we know as believers, as those sitting in this room today, we know that's not the way things are. We just read in our, in our pardon of, in Romans, the renewing of our minds. Where does this renewing come from? The realization that our minds are changed by the word, by the very words of God. See, we're not to change God to fit our wants and desires. We are to change our want and desires to fit God's plan. We are to change our wants and desires and conform ourselves and our beliefs and what we think in accordance with God's word. And so we aren't to be surprised when there's division. And here is where things begin to divide. And this isn't something new in scripture. This has come All through Scripture, starting from the Old Testament, carrying on, the division amongst people is something that occurs. And what causes that division? It's the Word of God. It is God Himself. The holy versus the unholy. Those that want to desire and thirst for the things of God versus those that don't. Those that want to thirst and desire themselves versus conforming to the words of the Lord. One of the things we begin to see that begins to happen as we carry through in this division, in this questioning, is there's going to be some, and we read this in the first two verses, this is the Christ, or this really is the prophet. Others said this is the Christ, but some said, is this the Christ to come from Galilee? Is There's this want or desire. These people are desiring the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promise. Remember, these aren't people that are running a country, okay? The Jews at this time are under the controls of the Greek, of the Romans, okay? They're the underclass. They're just there to serve. They're a conquered people. They're put up with. And so they're waiting for this, this Messiah, this prophet, because during this specific time, they're remembering the Exodus, the rescuing out of Egypt, the suppression and the enslavement and the, the lower class division among the Egyptians. So this is sticking out to them As far as what is going on, they're saying this is the promise, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the prophet. But then you have others going, is this really him? Is this really him? What we seem to see happening through the scriptures from this point on is this back and forth, this wavering, this fence sitting. Well, at some point a fence sitter has to make a Decision. They're going to fall one way or the other. You can't sit on the fence. You can't sit on the fence. So what are some things that people waver in their minds? What prevents believers today, or what prevents people today from believing? What are some things where they sit on the fence? What are some things society says about Christianity? What are some things that go through the minds of people in general? Well, one reason, with some reasons, one may hesitate to proclaim faith, right, is they fear social and peer pressures. What comes along with the title or being proclaimed a Christian? So today, what would the world say? What would the world say? Odds are, they're going to be mocked. They're going to be called foolish. You're silly. Why would you believe such things? You're going to be called a hypocrite. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called all sorts of names other than a faithful follower of Christ. Why? Why? Because you believe in truth? Because you believe in against the social norms that are happening today in the world? Some are gonna hesitate, not so much because they wanna believe in Christ, but because they wanna believe things that Christ taught about. They wanna believe in a a society that loves each other we just talked about what is a church they want all those good things all those good positive marks of a church without the god aspect can't we just all get along can't we be a happy social club can't we care for each other without god can't we all just get along you can believe what you believe. I'll believe what I want to believe and it's all okay. Or they believe in the fact that there's a heaven, but there's not really a hell. Everybody God, you live a good life now, you'll have one later. See, there's all these other religions and different things that are out there that compete or try to compete with God. And it's all people forming in their own aspects, in their own minds, teachings that bend to their way of thought. Where Christianity is something completely different. We recognize we don't have the answers. We are foolish sinners that need to be conformed and shown grace and change our ways because guess what? In reality, our ways don't work. Our ways don't work. Some want a world without sickness and a pain. That sounds good to them. But I don't want to do this. But I don't want to do that. Right? We see that from the very beginning when Jesus goes out and teaches parables. If you read Jesus' parables and you listen to what he's saying, it's all about this division of changing and our resistance to following God. It happened. That's the very first sin. God says, don't do this because this will happen. But I really want this. And sin enters the world. We see that with the wealthy individuals. I do all these great things, Lord. What else must I do? Well, give up your wealth. I can do everything else but that. I I can't give that up. See, we shouldn't be surprised because this is a common thing that happens. We read about the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, 24 through 43. And I'm not going to read all that. You're familiar with it. The parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 1 through 30. Which is all in reference to Isaiah six nine ten. We even have the drawback to the Old Testament. You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. See, it's us turning to God, not God turning to us. And when we talk about this division that occurs like in the sower, and with the seeds, and the weeds, is guarding ourselves and creating this firm foundation of the things of God. And the recognition of who Jesus is, we have to be firm. And who Jesus is. And that's what begins to happen here. They are being called to the line and they begin to question their beliefs. Is this who this is? Is this the promise? Did we begin to misunderstand who he is? Because what we will read next week is what happens when the officials, we heard they got sent out, right? And there's this hesitation to arrest Jesus. Wait a minute, what's he saying? What's he saying? And there's a pause. And he stands up and says, I am the answer. And the crowds begin to call. And we will learn next week. And we hear it at the end of 44, they did not lay a hand on him. Why? Well, in the beginning of seven, we heard it was not his time yet. Here, they don't lay hands on him. One, because it's not his time. This isn't the time for this to happen. We know in six months it's going to be the right time. But at this point in the juncture, it's not the right time. But two, there's this question. How many of those guards do you think went and went, wait a minute, hold on. How does he know all this stuff? What is he saying? Think about the spirit coming out through Jesus in his words. Do you think they were just mere words or do you think there was power behind them? There's definitely power behind Jesus' words. Because they're stopping to think and to ask questions. See, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, we read about the the sifting of goats and sheep, believers and non-believers. And in those goats... There's those that sit on the fence that tried to act like sheep. And Jesus says, no, you didn't recognize me. You didn't do the these very least of these things. And therefore, you are divided. You will be pushed aside. You will be judged in this manner. And the biggest division that happens amongst God, with God and his creation, we find in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, God creates division. And it's real clear. You either believe and have faith or you don't. There's no back and forth. There's no wavering. There's no pondering. You either have it or you don't. This division is a common theme, as I've stated. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word. Why does he give us the word? Why has God chosen this manner? This holy book in which to communicate to us. This word has power. This word is designed to create division. It's designed to create division even in the believers. And what is that division? To know the difference between right and wrong. To recognize the fact that he is holy and we are not. To recognize that we cannot come to God on our own, but we have to rely on him, that he is the provider, which is the very essence. Jesus is saying this during the Feast of Tabernacle, the time in which they're supposed to remember that God is sovereign, that God is the provider. Everything happens in God's timing. And so part of understanding John 7 And what is happening here is why did he pick this specific time? Why did he pick the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, for all this to happen? Because he's showing again, once again, how the Old Testament points to him, how the Old Testament points to God in this manner. This is the thing you're misunderstanding who the Messiah is supposed to be. Is this the prophet? Is this the Christ? Who did they think it was supposed to be? They're asking all this stuff about the line of David. They are looking for a new king. They are looking for a new ruler to overthrow the suppression, to bring them out of exile, and to be their own country and people again. Pre-Babylonian times is what they're looking for. They're looking for a new king. And he's saying, wait a minute, I've chosen this time to say these words because I want you to remember who God is. And he provides for us in a way that we may not necessarily think is happening. Our wants and desires might not be what God has planned for us. But don't be surprised when things are different. And when we talk about the division, the word splitting our soul and our minds and renewing it, It's for our thoughts and minds to be renewed to his will and to see things in a new light in accordance to his word, and see the majestic works being done by God. Even when bad things happen, our perception is to be different than everybody else's because we can see God's holy work in that. We know and take comfort in the fact that things are going to work out for his glory and for our good. See, God's word will be offensive to some, but to others it will be a delight. Don't be surprised when the act, when the lost act lost. I I, I love that saying, don't be surprised when the lost act lost. Don't be surprised when people say they don't believe. Because we know there's going to be division. We know that there's going to be those that are going to be lost. But what you can't do is write people off. That is not your privilege. That is not your right to sit there and say, that's an unbeliever and walk away. Or why don't they just get it? That's not for us to do the judging. What we are to continue to do is to go out and share the word, to share the truth, to pray that God's word will pierce and cause division of soul and spirit and other individuals. We're to follow that word and take comfort in the fact Of what side of the fence you're on. In John 10, 1 through 42, and I'm not going to read it all, but he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. Don't be surprised when the lost act lost. But continue pointing, continue sharing that that's the good shepherd. Because the gates narrow, there's no other way in. There's no other way in. You have been given the gift of life, you have been shown grace and forgiven for all your iniquities through faith and repentance. This is the very work of God. And to sit there and hear those words, that if you're to thirst, you're to come to Him, is being shown the way in through the narrow gate. Be strengthened by the fact that God has chosen you, that he has chosen you to understand his word, that he has chosen you to be in a relationship with him, to be an adopted heir, to be an adopted son or daughter of his kingdom. Think about what that actually means. Those are powerful words. It's a powerful statement. And if we truly believe that, if we truly believe and have faith in our Lord and Savior, then we must make sure that we are living by this doctrine that we believe in. We must not wander in the wilderness. Thinking back at the Feast of the Booths, why did they wander for so many years? Because they doubted. They complained. And it's easy for us to look back and go, those foolish people, did they not see? Now think about what it would take for them to not believe, to have this doubt. They're following, a cloud of, they're following a cloud during the day and fire at night. These, this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. They're wandering through the wilderness following this. Every morning they're waking up and being provided for with this manna. Moses can go up to a rock, strike it, and out comes water when they're thirsty. There's quail for them to eat. And they continually doubt they've seen the Red Sea think about it. they crossed the Red Sea they walk through this dry area of the Red Sea parted huge walls of water think about in this room if you were to stand and this was water on the right water on the left and you're walking down the middle of it there's a trout there's a walleye and you're just walking And yet you still go, is God real? Is this really it? We would have been better off that way. Wait a minute. Now here's Jesus. They've heard the stories of healing. Some of these have seen him heal. They've heard the stories. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees are seeing and hearing these things. The lame man, the blind man, the leper. And there's this doubt. It's the very same thing. So I ask you, how do you live your life? Are you living your life as an Israelite of that time? It's good to go on Sundays and go to church and then the rest of the week I'll just do whatever and proclaim this or that and just live? Or do I conform my life to the way of the word? Because God's word's meant to create division. And it creates division inside each and every one of us. So I ask you, go out and seek opportunities. Pray for opportunities to share this truth, to help show people who Christ is and the means in which God has chosen in his infinite wisdom to bring us into a right relationship with himself. Let them know who God is and why. We discussed this before. Why they need Christ. See, the problem with the lost is they don't know they're lost. There has to be a reason for Christ. And unless they know they're lost, they see no reason for Christ. That's where the word comes in. Because you, as you begin to share these things, they start, well, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah no, nope, there's an issue there. There's something wrong with the world. And you begin to share more and more of God's word. Not your words, God's word. And what he's done in your life. And how he's changed you. God uses that to draw people close to him. So don't hide the light. Don't be ashamed of being a professing Christian. Don't be ashamed to point to God. Be bold as the disciples were bold. In Luke 12:51 through53, "I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is this division Those that believe and those that don't. There is going to be division, and God's word will create turmoil. It's designed to. And where does that turmoil come from? That turmoil is don't tell me I'm wrong. I enjoy living in sin. The lost enjoy being lost. Those not called enjoy being lost. It's going to create division. It's going to create division. I'd like to close with Philippians 2: 10 through11. So that so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will become a time in which even the lost will come to the realization that Jesus is who he says he is. That God is God. And every name will confess his. Every knee will bow. We can take comfort in that fact. Our jobs, brothers and sisters, is to go out and to share the truth. We should take joy in the fact that we have the opportunity to praise God, that we can be gathered here today in a light community, worshiping God. This really is the prophet, this is the Christ. He does come from Bethlehem, he fulfills every promise promised and foretold and prophesied in the Old Testament. Don't be surprised when there's division among the people. And as you finish reading John 7, be amazed at the fact that some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Why would that be? Think about that this week as you sit there and prepare for next week's sermon. Why could they not lay hands on him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity and hearing your word and coming before you and just being able to be given the words that just... Pierce our hearts, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to praise your name and to worship before you. To pray, to give praise and thanks for a life changed. For the word piercing our hearts, for the words piercing our souls, creating division in the realization of the fact that left on our own, we are full of wickedness wickedness and iniquities, Lord, that just sit there and draw us away from you. You've chosen the right means in which we can be brought to you through the sacrifice, through the payment of the penalties due to you from our sins, Lord, of being brought just. We thank you for the gift of redemption, Lord. We thank you for... The salvation you've given us and the continued sanctification as you continue to change us and reform us and bring us closer to you. To see you in the right way, Lord. And to live lives correctly that are designed to point to you. Lord, thank you for the reminders you put in our lives. That when we begin to stray, we can be led to you that will bring forth the mind that you are our God and we are your people, Lord. Just like the Feast of Booths, which was designed to remind people who you are and what you've done, Lord. That has been replaced by your word in which we can be reminded of how great and glorious you are How you are our creator and we are the creation, Lord. So often we want to worship the creation. So often we desire the things of the creation. So often we desire those things that we want. We put ourselves ahead of you. And your word rightly brings us back into the correct place, Lord. We pray for this continued thirst, this desire to want things of you, to be in your presence, Lord. Lord, we also pray for the opportunity in which we can go out and share your word, Lord, to bring people in. Lord, we pray for each other. We pray for our families. We pray for our church, Lord, your church. We pray for opportunities in which we can grow in ways we can strengthen and encourage each other and most importantly lord a true a church that is healthy and worships you and holds you in the highest of regards lord that conforms itself to your teachings and to your ordinances and to your direction lord we pray to be an obedient church we thank you for the many blessings and encouragement you continue to give us lord It's through your son's name, through his sacrifice that paid for our sins. Amen.